So this series we've been in, the seven churches of Revelation, there's two weeks left, this week and next week. I'm going to preach on the church, the letter to the church in Philadelphia this week, and next week it'll be Laodicea, and that'll wrap up the series. But the kind of the whole point of it is we're taking these letters that were written to literal churches, physical, historical churches in that day, but we're remembering that they are for the church, the church age, and they apply to us today. That's the big idea of it, is what is Jesus saying to these churches? What does Jesus want the church to look like? What are they commended for? What are they condemned for? What does a faithful church and a fallen world look like? We relate to that, because Philadelphia was a faithful, capable church, and they lived in a fallen world in many ways, just like we. So that applies right to us, and God's Word is going to apply right to us this morning. As I said, this week we'll be on page 1275, if you're using the Bibles that's provided, it's going to be Revelation 3, and it's going to be verses 7 through 13. Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. That's where we're going to be at this morning in this. The capable church is what we're calling today's message. And I want to ask you a couple questions to get started. It's easy. All you're going to have to do is raise your hand, and they're very simple questions. One, who has heard the phrase, like let's say tomorrow you're getting ready for your day. Maybe your children, you... Many of you have probably heard this, hopefully. If I'm the only one that raises my hand, okay, this isn't going to work out, but I'd highly doubt that. Who's heard the phrase, I hope to, uh, getting, about getting started off on the right foot? Like tomorrow, I hope I get started off on the right foot. Who's heard that? All about starting off right, right? We've got to get started off on the right foot. Who's heard the phrase, finish strong? Whether you're a coach or whether you're a kid, yeah, they're already going up. Let's finish strong. I ask you that. Because we put a lot of emphasis and a lot of focus on how we start and how we finish, right? In our lives, in our days. Think of your life. Think of, your, think of every day. That, go, that fits in every day. You want to get started off on the right foot. You want to finish strong. But then that thing called life happens, right? And you live life. And a day that started off on the right foot can go south real quick. It's hard to finish strong at times because of the day you just had. I tell you that with reason, because that's the approach we're going to have with this sermon this morning, is we're going to get started off on the right foot. We're going to start with Jesus, the source, what it's all about. We're going to get started off on the right foot in a big way. And then we're going to talk about the church, and we're going to answer one big question this morning. What does a faithful, capable church look like in a fallen world? That's the big question we want to answer. Because like life, when you live as a church, when you live as a Christian in this world, it's hard. It's not easy. Look at this past week, how some ballots turned out, how some voting turned out. You know, that's just this week. We know more is to come. It's not easy at times. That's when it's, what does a faithful, capable church look like in a fallen world when it's not easy and you still have to be obedient, respond, and do the right thing? And then we're going to finish strong. We're going to finish with Jesus. If you see your handout this morning, you'll see that kind of outline in it. You'll see number one, the character and control of Jesus. That's starting off with Jesus. You'll see the commendation and capability of the church of Jesus. And number three, what is coming for the church of Jesus. That's that in between. That's what a faithful and capable church looks like. That's what it looks like to do the right thing even when it's not easy to do. And at the very bottom, you'll see Jesus is. And that's going to be us finishing strong with Jesus. That's kind of the outlook. That's the approach that we're going to have this morning with it all. That's the handout. The main goal with the big question is going to be this. As we answer this big question I mentioned, here's the main goal. 
to encourage in a way that gives courage. Not just to encourage where we're happy and we're joyful. To encourage in a way that motivates us, that starts us to where we are encouraged and it gives us courage. To be a faithful church, a capable church, a missional church. That's the goal. So a little bit about Philadelphia, and I tell you this because it's important to know about the recipients of this letter, because it'll kind of hit home for us a little bit towards the end of it about this church. But here's Philadelphia, just a, a few little nuggets about it. It was the youngest of the seven churches. Of the seven letters, we're going to the seven churches, Philadelphia was the youngest. Its location, it was about 30 to 50 miles southeast of Sardis, which is in modern day Turkey. And there's a city actually there today called Al-Shahir. That's a city in this location today. That's its age, that's its location. Its name, Philadelphia, means brotherly love. Sound familiar? Yeah, it means brotherly love. And it had a nickname as well. It was called Little Athens because of the pillars, the temples, the beauty, the strength of it in many ways, and its appearance. And they nicknamed it Little Athens. But it was known for earthquakes and grapes. Earthquakes and grapes, that's easy to say, right? It, well, that's what Philadelphia was known for, earthquakes and grapes. And I found that almost a little humorous as, as God put this message on my heart because I'm like, wow, we're talking about a fallen world, a shaken world. They were known for literally a fallen, shaken world in two senses, persecution and earthquakes. And yet they were also known for grapes. Even with earthquakes, fruit was produced. See, brother and sister, even in a fallen, shaken world, we can produce fruit. It's our mission. It's our job. Earthquakes and grapes, that's what they were known for. But they had an issue, and the issue was persecution. The issue was a world that wanted them to be quiet, to not talk, to destroy them to put them to death, that was opposed to them. It wasn't easy to live as a faithful, capable church. So there's a certain way they did it that Jesus commends them for. So it's important us take, to take note. Because does that sound familiar to you? We are in a certain place at a certain time. You will be known for certain things. You are a Christian in a world that don't accept Christians in many days and don't want to hear what you have to say about Jesus. I want to hear what I have to say about Jesus. But we are Christians and we wear the name and we wear it right. And we're going to get into that some. So we can, we can relate to this. We can relate to Philadelphia. So with that and with setting this up, how we're going to approach it, how we're going to start off, it's going to be time that we start off strong now. We start off on the right foot as I read Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crowns. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. 
and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, that approach of starting off strong, we're going to talk about the character and control of Jesus. That number one. And underneath that, I'm going to give you both fill-ins right now. We're going to draw all of our points. are going to be straight from Scripture this morning. Every single one of them. But that character and control of Jesus. Underneath there, Jesus is holy and true. Jesus is holy and true. And Jesus is perfect in authority and administration. Jesus is perfect in authority and administration. Let's start with the control. And have you ever ever heard the same word so many times it starts to literally drive you nuts? And inside you're really thinking, okay, that's enough, be quiet. Well, you're about to hear it intentionally, okay? On purpose, because this is going to really drill home the point that in the world we live in today, this fallen world is starting off on the right foot. We have to start with the source. We have to start with who is sovereign. We have to start with Jesus. And this is going to be a reminder that Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is still in control. And it's going to be a reminder of His character. Pay attention to all these eyes that I'm about to say of Jesus. And just what we just read. Listen to this. Starts in verse 8. I know your works. I have set before you an open door. I know that you have but little power. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and not lie. Behold, I will make them come down and, before, and bow before your feet. I have loved you. I will keep you from the hour of trial. I am coming soon. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. I, I, Jesus is in control. What he says to this church, he says to you and me. Now, how does that apply to you and me? It's good that he says it to you and me as well, and that this scripture is for us today as well. We know that. But how does that apply to you? Look around. Like I said, look at the past week. What's happened with voting? Look at what's to come in our world. Look at the wars. Right? We know more is to come. But man, that main goal of this message, the encouragement, this is the encouragement part of it. Brother and sister, Jesus is in control. He is still sovereign. He reigns. Everything is going to be okay for the Christian. Let that encourage you this morning. Because look beside you right now. You may love that person beside you as much as, much as you think is possible. But we know that we cannot put full trust and full confidence in any human being. Any human being. Your spouse will let you down. We're broken. We're fallen. We're human beings. But there is one Jesus Christ, that you can put your full trust, your full confidence, and He will not let you down. It's His way and His way is best. We put our trust in Jesus Christ. That's getting started off on the right foot. Jesus is in control. Jesus is holy and true. We're going to be in verse 7. If you're following along, if you have a Bible, if not, just please tune in to God's Word, what He has for you this morning in your heart. In verse 7 it says, And to the angel the main messenger, the pastor of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the Holy One. What does holy mean? Holy means set apart. You can't, Jesus can't be compared to. He is incomparable. Jesus is set apart from sin. Yet He came to save sinners. He is set apart from sin. He's the perfect, unblemished Lamb. He is perfectly divine, perfectly holy, perfectly pure, and perfectly in control. Jesus is holy. And it says He's true. What is true? True is genuine. Jesus, he, God isn't one of many gods. Our God is the one true God. He's the genuine, not a copy. He's the original. 
He's true in what he says. He's true in what he does. He's true in his doing, his being, his nature. He's truth. What does John say? John says in 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is holy and Jesus is true. Let's look at that authority and administration. Jesus is perfect in authority and administration. Same verse. Verse 7. The true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one opens. See, the door that Jesus opens to salvation, nobody can shut it. The door Jesus shuts, no one will open. The door that Jesus opens to opportunity for ministry, no one will shut. And the door he shuts, no one will open. Jesus has control of who opens and who shuts. And this is a reference to Isaiah 22, verses 15 through 22. And you don't have to turn there. I can tell you the, I'll just summarize it for you real quick. But Isaiah 22, 22 says this, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. What this is referring to is Eliakim, and it's pointing to Jesus Christ. You can find a path to Jesus Christ on every page of Scripture. It all points to Jesus Christ. And this is talking about Eliakim because what had happened was Isaiah had warned Judah they would be invaded, and Assyria invaded Judah. And the Israelites, instead of putting their trust and confidence in God to deliver them, they were putting their trust in Egypt. And one of the men in charge's name was Shebna, and he held the keys. And he held the keys, but he wasn't a faithful man. He wasn't the right man. He didn't have the affairs of the people in his best interest. He did it for selfish gain. So he was replaced. The Lord replaced him with Eliakim. And Eliakim reflects Jesus Christ in so many ways because he was a faithful man. He was the right man. He had the affairs of the people. He was a great administrator. And he had authority because in that day when you held the keys, you had authority. You had to know that person to get where you needed to go. He had the key to access the temple. He had the key to access the treasures of the temple. You had to know him to get there. That's Eliakim. And that points to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ holds the key of David. That's his words right there. And he holds it completely, perfectly in every way. He holds it through, through lineage, through Mary. He holds it legally through Joseph. And he holds it literally through Scripture. All throughout Scripture, Jesus' own words right here, he holds the key of David in every sense. He rules. He will have authority. He sits on the throne. And he's sovereign today. Jesus is holy and true. Jesus is perfect in authority and administration. So, let's move on to the next one. Two, the commendation and capability of the church of Jesus. Now we're going to get into what it looks like. That main, we kind of started with our goal a little bit, the encouragement of Jesus, obviously. Now we're going to talk about the church. What the question, what does a faithful and capable church look like in a fallen world? We're going to look at that right now. Those three fill-ins below there, a true church will keep the word of Jesus. A true church won't deny the name of Jesus. And a true church will have patience and endurance. I'll say those one more time. A true church will keep the word of Jesus. A true church won't deny the name of Jesus. And a true church will have patience and endurance. We're going to draw these straight from verse 8 and half of verse 10. Follow along as I read. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. Which that open door, by the way, all throughout the New Testament, there's an open door to salvation. Obviously, we talked about that. There's also that open door to ministry. And in the New Testament, 
an open door is referred to as an opportunity to speak Jesus, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. I'll give you some examples now. Acts 14.27 And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how He had gathered, and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 16.9 For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. 2 Corinthians 2.12 When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, and Colossians 4.3, even another one. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. A door. Jesus has given this church in Philadelphia a door for ministry. Philadelphia was known as a missional church. They were faithful. They were capable. They were missional. Back to verse 8. I set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. See, this was a little church. Little in capacity, little in number, little in impact in some ways because of their size. But they were big in strength because they had the right strength. The strength of Jesus Christ. They know where their strength come from. And Jesus says, I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. There's two of those points. Keeping the word, not denying the name of Jesus. He says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. And here's that third point that was under there. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. See, there was an opposition. There were those that said they were Jews that weren't. They were Jews physically, but they were not reborn spiritually. They were not truly God's people in a spiritual sense. See, the name meant nothing. In that sense. And names mean a lot. And when I think about this patient endurance and not denying the name and keeping the word, why were they endurance? Why did they have patient endurance? Well, if you're enduring something, it's because you're doing something. And patience, I feel like our world today a lot of times mistakes patience as silence, kindness, shutting your mouth and getting in a hole. That's being patient. That's not patience. That's not patience at all. Patience is a calmness in Christ. Patience is a peacefulness in Christ. And they were patiently enduring. They had patient endurance because they were a missional church. They were doing the work of Christ. And they were enduring persecution because of it. But they were doing it with a calmness, a peacefulness, because they had the right strength in Jesus Christ. When I think of this, and then being trained up in the Word, they kept the Word. They were trained well. They knew what their weapon was. They knew what they needed. They knew, needed the Word of Christ, and it was their job and their purpose to keep it. They knew that they were not to not deny the name. They wanted to wear the name Christian. They wanted to show who they belonged to and where they belong in the kingdom of heaven. And when I read that, when I seen that, it reminded me of the Band of Brothers. A friend of mine told me, told me about the Band of Brothers recently. And I tried watching that show, and it cussed way too much, so I had to turn it off. But I started reading up on it. I turned it off. I read up on it because it's very interesting. And this band of brothers was a group of soldiers in the early 1940s. And there was this band of soldiers that called themselves Easy Company. They were part of the 2nd Battalion of the 506th Parachute Infantry. And they were in that 101st Airborne Division. See, they wanted to wear the name Airborne Infantry. And when you've seen the heart of these men... They wanted to show where they belonged to, the United States military. 
They wanted to show who they belonged to, the Infantry Airborne Division. And they worked, and they trained. They wanted to wear the name and show they belonged. See, but they had an enemy. And this enemy they had just so happened to have a lot of power and some authority of his own. Because this enemy was actually their captain. Captain Sobel was his name. And he wanted to destroy them, make them quit, make them be quiet, make them exhausted and feel weak. He wanted them to give up. And I was amazed at what they went through. He made them crawl through mud and pig feces. And he would hold up a jar of peaches. He would say, what is this? They would say, peaches. He would say, you're wrong. It's the property of the U.S. government. And they would run and run and run. Even though they gave the right answer, it was peaches. They would run and run and run. He put them through so much. Cursed them. Said they didn't belong. Said they weren't going to make it. And yet they kept going. The one time they thought he was going to be nice to them, he provided this huge meal of spaghetti. And he let them get filled up with spaghetti. And he came in the doors, burst through the doors, and made them stop eating. Said it was time to go run. And they ran mile after mile and puked and vomited and built each other up. This is what he was putting them through, the persecution that he was putting them through. You know what they did? They rallied together. They used their training. They showed they belonged to the Airborne Infantry Division. And they made it. They made it. And they fought and they would not stop. See, there's two different MIAs. There's a missing in action and there's a mission in action. These men weren't missing in action. They were mission in action. They knew what they had to do and they put it to work. That reminds me of Philadelphia. This was a missional church. They weren't missing in action. They were mission in action. They were doing what they needed to do. I ask us this morning, brothers and sisters, all three of those points. Are we keeping the word of Jesus? That's the church we want to be. That's the Christian I want to be. Are we wearing the name Christian? Are we showing that we belong to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven? Are we wearing the name and wearing it however we need to? Showing we're trained up in the word of God. We know scripture. We won't deny the name of Jesus Christ no matter what the world brings at us. We will stand firm and we won't deny it. We will have a calmness and a peacefulness about us. That no matter what this world throws at us, we will endure it and we will endure it the right way. Is that the Christian that we are? I think of a quote Charles Spurgeon has. He said, if you be a Christian, be a Christian. And be a marked one and a distinct one. I love that. Because basically he's saying, walk the walk. Don't say you believe in Jesus and curl up in a hole. Say you believe in Jesus and be firm. Be a soldier. Be a warrior for Christ. Be mission in action, not missing in action. I love that. Be a Christian. Be a marked one. Be a distinct one. Because our job as the church is to be a missional church. It's to share Jesus Christ. We talked about walking through those doors this morning and the opportunity it is, the blessing it is to sit here. Well, at the end of this service, there's going to be an opportunity to walk out those doors and say yes. Put your yes on the table to that opportunity to invite somebody to church next week, to share your testimony, to pray on your knees with all your heart for people, to share Jesus Christ, to show that you're keeping the Word, you're not denying the name, your mission in action. When I think of Charles Spurgeon, I think of this story I read where this man came up to him. He wanted to be on mission. He said, how, do I show, how can I share the gospel? And Charles Spurgeon says, what do you do? What are you? And he says, I'm an engine driver on a train. He said, is the man who shovels coal on your train a Christian? And Charles Spurgeon said, I don't know. He said, go to him. 
Ask Him. Find out. Start with Him. Nice and simple. See, God initiated a relationship with you and me. Sometimes we have to initiate relationships. Not everything is put on our lap on a silver platter. We have to initiate. We, he initiated one with us. Why wouldn't we create opportunity for ourselves? Recognize opportunity. Use the breath that we have to say the most important words to people that could ever be said to them. So that before we take our last breath, we know we probably said out of all words in this world, the words God probably wanted us to say to them most <laughs> in so many ways. Mission in action. Not denying the name of Jesus Christ. Keeping the word. Having a patient endurance. And when I think of that, I think of promises. Okay, And you'll see the third section there, what is coming for the church of Jesus. And I think of promises. I'm going to point out three promises right now in Scripture that Jesus gives this church. And the two points under it is two of those three promises. He says the church will be delivered from the hour of trial. That's the first one. And the church that perseveres will be a pillar in the temple of God. The church will be delivered from the hour of trial. And the church that perseveres will be a pillar in the temple of God. Now, when I said that main question we were going to answer was how does a fallen church live in a faithful world? I think we just answered that. Not denying Jesus' name, keeping the word and having patient endurance and standing firm and we keep going. And then here's the promises. Here's what's to come for the church. Here's that main goal of the rest of that encouragement. Because brother and sister, this will encourage you. A church that was weak, that would be a pillar. Listen as I read as we draw these points out. Being delivered from the hour of trial and being a pillar in the temple of God. I'm going to start off in verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. That's one promise. Jesus will take care of the enemy. That's not your fill-in. That's the one that's not one of the points. That's a promise. That's one of the three. Jesus will take care of the enemy. Verse 10, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now this is not like Noah. This is not like the flood. It don't say I will deliver you through it, where you have to see it, witness it, endure it, but save you through it. This says from it. I will deliver you from the hour of trial. This is more like Enoch. This is more like being snatched up. Because each one of us is either going to take our last breath or we're going to be snatched up. We're going to be delivered. God's Word says it. Crystal clear. We will be delivered from that moment of trial and tribulation that's going to be upon the whole world. That is a promise. That is the deliverance from the hour of trial. What an encouraging promise for us today. What an encouraging promise that Jesus will take care of our enemies. And then he says, I am coming soon. I'm in verse 11. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, here's that third promise and that final point that's under it. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now they would know exactly what this meant. This pillar. See, a pillar has a firm foundation. Christ is our firm foundation. The rock on which we stand. We talked about a firm foundation this morning in the hymn. Christ is our firm foundation. They would, ex they would know exactly what this meant when he said make them a pillar. Why? What did I say they were known for at the very beginning? Earthquakes. What did I say their nickname was? Little Athens. There was temples. There was pillars. And when the earthquakes would happen, 
Sometimes the only thing left standing would be these pillars. The pillar that supported the structure. The pillar that had the firm foundation. Jesus says, church, to the one who conquers, though you may have little strength now and have the right strength in me, you will be a pillar. You will be a tower of strength. You will have a position of honor. What a promise from Jesus Christ. That's the other point. And that's another one of the promises. So as we remember, as we remember these promises that we have, that our enemy will be defeated, that we will be delivered one way or another, that we will have a position in heaven, we will have a reward in heaven. As you have these promises and we think about that and we remember, hopefully all of you grabbed a cup when you came in with the communion elements. And I told Pastor Chris this morning, I, told, I said, I'll do communion. I'll do communion as part of the service because it's going to fit really well. And we do ask at this church for you to be a believer in the body, to partake of communion. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a member of Crossroads. You have to be a member of the body of Christ to take the elements of communion. And we ask that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. But we're going to remember, we're going to come full circle here. Full circle. Remember how we started off on the right foot and we started off strong? This is going to be us finishing strong as we get ready to wind down this morning. And as we slowly wrap up and close, we're going to remember. We're going to start to finish strong because we're going to come right back to Jesus Christ. See in that verse 1, right back to verse 1, full circle, where it talked about the keys of David. I have to tell you something else about the keys of David. The man who held him, like I said, you had to know him. You had to know him to get in the temple. You had to know him to get in the treasure. It was the man with the key. And those keys were large, and they were wooden. And you would wear them over your shoulder. You can see it here. It's not a good picture. I was trying to find one in color. But you see that draped over his shoulder? That's several wooden keys. It's not like a little metal key like we think of. It was large, it was wood, and it was carried on a shoulder. And it was the person who had access to the temple and access to the treasure. What does that remind you of? Jesus Christ. He carried a large wooden cross on His shoulder. He bore a burden for you and me. It was heavy, it was burdensome, it was our sin that He carried on His shoulder. He is the one you have to know to get into the temple, the kingdom of God. Only Him. He is the one that gives the crown of life, the treasure. That's Jesus Christ. That is pointing Eliakim, the, the keys, the keys of David. It walks us right into communion. As we remember, I want to spend a moment and remember Jesus Christ as we remember His promises. As we partake of this this morning, I want to remind you that Jesus, and the section of Scripture I'm going to use for this, He had just got done talking to the disciples, giving them so much direction, so much instruction, so much commands. This was their last supper with Him. And it was the institution of the Lord's Supper. What was the last supper would become the first Lord's Supper. And He gave them so much instruction before they had, their la- had the Lord's Supper with Him. Like us this morning, God has given us instruction. He's commanding us. We're getting ready to partake of the elements just like they did. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a section of Scripture and then I'll say... Let's partake of the bread and we'll eat it. And then I'll read the rest and I'll say, let's partake of the cup and we'll drink it. But as we do this, I want you to be thinking. I want you to remember who's in control. I want you to remember what a faithful, capable church looks like in a fallen world. I want you to remember everything Christ has done for you. 
Because as we partake of communion, that's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus Christ and what he did. It's all about the gospel. Remember that right now as I'm speaking, remember what Jesus has done for you. And then I want you to repent. Repent of your sin. Say, God, cleanse me. Purify my heart. Forgive me of the sin that's in my life. Be saying that right now to yourself. What's the sin in your life that you want to lay before the Lord? Say, God, it's time. Forgive me of my sin. Remember, repent. And then as we finish the elements and we drink of the cup together and you swallow that last drink, I want you to rejoice. Rejoice inside your heart that you have a Lord and Savior who forgives you, that you can be forgiven. But then that encouragement we talked about that gives courage, I want you to rise. I want us to rise and go out those doors of opportunity and take the opportunity to be on mission, to do what Jesus has put you here to do as the church. I'm going to read from Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. And I found it very interesting that after I read this, actually, the very next verse after I read about this, you know what the very next verse, I'm going to read it to you now because I thought, wow, wow, God. It says this. Some people, we get so caught up in the bread and the body and the blood and the communion. You know what it says after that? It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they had went out to the Mount of Olives. After they had the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn. They rejoiced, and then they went out the doors to the Mount of Olives. We're about to go out a set of doors at the end of this service this morning. We're about to sing a hymn before we do that. Let us, when you sing this last hymn this morning when we close, let you do it with everything you have. Rejoice. Sing the hymn. I'm going to read now. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Brother and sister, think of the body of Christ. His skin was broken open for you and for me. Let's take of the bread. And he took a cup, and we had given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of the sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's think of the blood of Jesus Christ that was said, shed for our sins, that when we do repent, we are forgiven. Let's drink of the cup. So as we close this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you just partook of that communion, I want to give you a fourth promise. How I said, full circle, finish strong. At the very bottom of your handout, it says, Jesus is. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11, what we read. You talk about a huge fourth promise. You talk about finishing strong. Verse, says, verse 11 says, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Brother and sister, Jesus is coming soon. That's a fourth promise. That's encouragement. That gives courage. And it makes me think of verse 13. And Jesus said this to every single church. You can look it up in your Bible. Every single letter, look at the last verse He says to them. Because this is what it says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every single church He said that to. That's what Jesus is telling you and me over and over again this morning. He who has an ear, 
let him hear. He says it to us every single time to these churches. It's that important. And when I think of an ear and I think of hearing, I have to share this with you. It was in a book by David Jeremiah, David Jeremiah called Escape the Night. And this is what an old southern preacher says. This was the prayer for his church. Didn't even give his name, but this is what he says. And I ask you this morning, you personally as a Christian, us as a church, a faithful, capable church, and a fallen world, that big question that we answered this morning, what it looks like, what if this is you? What if this is me? What if this is what we can be commended for by our Lord and Savior, if this is our church. He said, my prayer for my church is that we wake up, sing up, preach up, pray up, never give up, let up, back up or shut up until the church is filled up or we go up. I love that. I love that. So true, right? So true is a church to be a church like that, to be a church like Philadelphia that is commended for being on mission regardless of what happens. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ this morning, I have to tell you that same promise still holds true. Jesus is coming soon. It's closer now than when I started this sermon this morning. You don't know when you're taking your last breath. And when I thought of unbelievers this morning, I thought of in my life one time when my daughter Whitney got her finger closed in a car door. And you're probably thinking right now, wow, where's that going? But let me tell you something. We've talked a lot about doors and keys this morning. See, they shut that car off with those keys, and that door slammed shut on her finger. And me as her father was inside the house, working on a door, and I heard a scream. I heard a cry out from my child. And I got to her, and I got to her quick. I knew her voice. I knew her cry. I tell you, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ this morning, Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's not painful. But this world you live in, it's not going to satisfy you. You will always want more. You will never be satisfied. You will will not have a true joy and a true happiness without Jesus Christ in your life. And sometimes when that door of opportunity is open, it hurts a little bit. Because when her finger got smashed in that door and that door opened, see, sometimes it can let the pressure off. And you feel that. You feel that. And sometimes it feels good because you can let it go. You can submit and surrender. And sometimes it hurts because you're selfish and you don't want to sacrifice. You don't want to answer that conviction that you have in your heart or your mind right now. It goes both ways. Some, it's different for everybody. But there's that door. And I want to let you know right now that Jesus hears your cry. He knows your voice. And He won't get to you quick because He's already here. Jesus is there. I held my daughter. I comforted her. I loved her. She knew she had a dad, a father that loved her. I held her in my arms. I showed her so much comfort and love. I told her everything's going to be all right. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ and you accept Him as your personal Savior, that's what He does. He will hold you in His arms. He will comfort you. He will love you. Everything will be all right. And like I said, if you do believe in Jesus Christ, I'd like everybody just for one minute to turn around and look at those doors if you don't mind. Turn around and look at those doors. Go out those doors different this morning than you came in. Go out those doors this morning knowing I have an opportunity. I'm still breathing. i got to take advantage of it. I don't want to look back and say I should have, I could have, I would have. We do it. Don't, let's not be missing in action.
Let's be mission in action. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father,